You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Tracy Brown. Tracy is a somatic nutrition therapist, registered licensed dietitian, and attuned eating coach who has been in private practice, providing in-person and online counseling since 2006. In this episode, we talk about how dieting has provided a false sense of safety to people and how our bodies are often easily blamed for the negative feelings that we have inside. Get ready because this episode is really going to make you think. I hope you enjoy this episode of the show. Hi, Tracy. How are you today? I'm doing good, Meg. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I can't wait for us to chat today. I just love your work and I'm excited to learn more about you. Um, Thanks. (laughs) And I hope that however this evolves today helps people look a little more deeply at what they're struggling with and know that there's a solution to things that feel really tangled up and messy and, and all that. Absolutely. That's why I'm so excited because One thing I like about your work is that you're an intuitive eating counselor, dietitian, and also trauma-informed. So you have the ability to dive a little deeper. It's not just about the food. And I've seen that on your blog and, you know, other content you create. So I'm excited to dive in. I think the people are going to be excited to hear it. But before we do, I would love to hear more about your story and learn how you became an intuitive eating counselor. Thanks for asking. I'll try to keep it concise because, you know, when you're telling your story, there's bits and pieces that, you know, pop in your head and you don't want to go on rabbit trails. But what I will say that probably like many of us grew up, like it feels like a good enough household. Like, you know, my parents took care of me. When I say that, I mean like physically, financially. However, what was so missing and was too much for me personally, is these attachment ruptures of feeling like emotions were too much and they weren't discussed. And when I did have, honestly, big but appropriate responses to something that was happening to me or around me, that really was quite minimized. So I kind of grew up by, you know, my little 10-year-old or whatever brain trying to make meaning of emotional and then neglect, really, lack of attunement and and too much, like, performance and all those kind of things. I was like, well, my needs are too much and I'm too sensitive and I feel too much and all the things. And, you know, that's just kind of the surface level of this conversation is starting to put in my brain that I'm too much and not enough at the same time. And so here's that one layer. And then the other layer is, of course, you know, my family didn't really push body negativity and dieting on me per se. Again, they did right by me in that way. However, they were really heinous to themselves. Mm. So my dad was a little rigid and my mom was always 
heard like the late 70s, early 80s, and all throughout the 80s, like, you know, nobody did healthy eating. People did crash diets, you know, like really extreme stuff to lose 20 or 40 pounds, you know, all the things that you guys can look up or maybe you've experienced yourself. And so the message was very clear. Like womanhood meant you hate yourself. That's the message I got. Like bellies are too much and you're too much. And like how you relate to other women is by complaining about yourself. That didn't look very appealing to me as well. So layer two. (laughs) And then really just this generational trauma stuff that I talk a lot about in the work I do of stuff being really bad or wrong and no one acknowledges it. You know, so layer three of like, we do hold the stuff, whether it happened to you or not, or maybe bad things really happened to you. The body, you know, we've heard the title of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I had all this in my system. So these three layers, which of course, that's too much for anybody to to manage, especially when you're young. And eventually you're going to go on to develop a, a defensive strategy. You know, and for me, that was perfectionism and really workaholism from a very young age. And then eventually eating disorder in high school only because it was pretty socially acceptable to diet. And then I just went off the cliff with it, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and the beginning, like, oh, what are you doing? That's so great. I'm like, oh, cool. I don't like that. This is how people are seeing me, but at least they're not criticizing me. I don't care about the validation. What I care about is not being criticized. So that's mm-hmm. what kept me going with it. It was the avoidance of criticism. I wasn't like, oh yeah, you're so great and pretty. And then it's like, oh, that's gross. I don't care about that. I just don't want to be sure, you know? So that was what I overcoupled. So flash forward a little bit and, you know, things get really bad before they get better sometimes with sort of eating, as we all know, and did get some care. Again, per like those times in the early mid nineties, wasn't that great. Wasn't relational. Definitely wasn't trauma for very cognitive, like stop thinking irrationally and gain weight. So we're not uncomfortable. That Again, that was my treatment message, but I was very, very, very blessed and fortunate to work with a dietitian. So like in the nineties where there wasn't really, I think the book Intuitive Eating was written the first edition of 95, but that wasn't available. It just wasn't where I lived, you know, to go to a bookstore or a library and get it. But she was an Ellen Satter dietitian mm-hmm. and really by my pediatrician, not by the therapist. Like, oh, well, here's this lady who does like feeding family feeding dynamics. I'm like, whatever, you're making me see her, okay, (laughs) kind of thing. So within this first session, I knew there was something different. She didn't try to make me eat more food. She didn't try to tell me what to eat. She built a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what made me want to change. Really was her like, yeah, like, what's that like for you to like, you know, just eat that for breakfast day after day after day. And, And I would say, oh, you're asking me how I feel about something? But I didn't know that was relevant. I'm supposed to eat more food and gain weight. It doesn't matter. You know, my needs don't matter. You know, because I still had that programming, you know. Yeah. So it's like that started to change everything. Oh, you mean that like I can eat more carbs and I can choose what I want and how to do this? Because by that time I was so diet indoctrinated too from the 90s of like, you know, zero fat, high carbs. But by that point I was scared of all of food. So anyway, she just started teaching me about a little. 20% about nutrition, but 80% about like relationship without saying those words. That's what was she was doing without really talking about it. So that started to help me like, oh, like I'm in charge. And I got my brain a little bit better fed to be able to see she was trying to just get me to eat normally, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all the foods, including all the play stuff, 
and then call it a day. It was really simple. Hard an application and you have to practice it, but that was it. It wasn't diet culture. It wasn't anything. And she just asked lots of questions and I was intrigued by that because it was relational. So anyway, I love science and I love people. So like, oh, well, she does both. I'll do that. As much of, as many of our dietitian people do, you know, I didn't go to, a lot of people go to be a dietitian because they want to feel, I feel like if I get more information, I'll be a better dieter. You know, I was like, oh no, I want to help people have a good relationship with food. Keep it simple, do the science, you know, whatever. And it was mostly the relationship I was pursuing, that idea of like, this is what helped me because I felt safe. And I didn't have those words. Those were safety and there was respect and that, that helped me get better. So anyway, we didn't do much body image work, but that's okay. That, that came later. But I'll just share that to say that I went to school thinking that's what dietitians are, what they do. I learned pretty quickly that like, oh, snap, a lot of this is really cool. And a lot of this is regurgitated, more sciencey sounding diet culture. And I got no time for this. In fact, if I listen to some of this, I'm going to relapse for sure. So by the end of my undergrad career, I'm like, well, what do I need to do to get an A on this test so I can get out of here and figure out either I learn how to do what I learn because by those, you know, four and a half, five years, I was an undergrad that took lots of time and took care of myself and whatever to fully get well. I recognized like, yeah, this place didn't teach me how to be a nutrition counselor and to really help people the way, because people can get facts. But if you can't apply it and it doesn't stick, that means you don't have a landing pad for it. You've got something that's like make, making you see this as like in a perfectionist way and it's not going to stick, right? So anyway, I just decided you know, where I have to find another career by the time I graduated and then finally get my license and stuff. Or I'm going to have to find people to know how to do this. So which is what I did. So there, that's the long story short. So I've been in private practice doing only non-diet, fat, positive, health at every size, eating disorder care since 2006. Had lots and lots of teachers along the way. I basically have a PhD amount of education information in this topic for the last 16 years. And along the way, again, I added the travel component to it because there's a level of like, we can know all the things and listen to podcasts like what we're doing right now. But we need, we have to have a relative enough safety inside to be able to try new things without feeling like it's a threat. Mm-hmm. And what does that is relationship. If you don't have relative safe enough relationship and grow those experiences inside you, not just your head, but in your felt sense, like your your body, your body container in your insides, it's like it stays on the outside and people do tend to even take intuitive eating and they put that same overlay of like fear of themselves, fear of their body, black and white thinking, and they turn into a diet or they magically think it into like, well, if I just like become an intuitive eater, all my body image stuff goes away. or Maybe they don't like my body. And it's like, that's not it, y'all. Intuitive eating is really just learning how to eat from hunger and fullness, respecting your body and learning interceptive awareness. But it's not the same thing as unpacking all your stuff. It helps you unpack your stuff. It's part of it. But you're going to have to uproot what got you feeling so too much or not enough in the first place mm-hmm. for it to stick and to be done. You know, not a perpetual learning, but actually like, oh, good. I moved on. Mm, Wow. I love your story. It's really amazing how your healing, it was so clear to you that the human component 
was what clicked, right? Like, well, because I got hurt in relationships. So it, it made sense to me, like, okay, I'm really hurt. So I'm looking for something outside of myself, like information to make this hurt go away. But until I got that human component of compassionate witnessing to that pain, all that information didn't matter. I could read recovery books, but I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's truly fascinating. And it makes sense considering all the factors you listed in the beginning, the three factors where you know people weren't acknowledging your emotions. They're telling you you're too much. Big events were happening and they weren't being spoken about. Like That's so relatable. I think it's very easy to turn to dieting or blame your body on those negative feelings because you don't have the tools to cope or the relational components to help you heal. So I think it's really amazing, honestly, that you noticed that was the healing factor at a young age and you were committed to making that part of your career from the get-go. There's some mysteries I guess I'll never know. Like, well, why didn't I become a therapist? Well, because the experience I had was so didactic that I'm like, this isn't changing my heart. How I feel about myself, how I feel about the world, how I relate to things. And so if I don't feel relatively safe and I'm doing life, I'm going to look for strategies to protect myself. Mm -hmm. You can tell me I have black and white thinking, but what's an alternative to that? What's an experience that that's different from that? And that's what we try to give clients is like, let's give people a different experience of how they talk about their shoot. What would it feel like inside of who did, said this, did that? Let's practice that. And then we're saying, like an app, and as you go back to what you're doing, or just practice this. And we do it in session a lot because you've got to have the practice. And oftentimes we're too scared to do it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So true. So you mentioned that our bodies are a container. And I just was wondering if you could explain more of what you mean by that. Yeah, well, so we have a body, you know, we have our, our mind. Some people, you know, body, mind, will, emotion, soul, whatever. And, you know, you don't have all of your sensations and feelings in your head, right? Mm. When you think about what you feel from the neck down, we sense and feel a lot of stuff. And so we'll give an example, see if you can have a participate with us here. So if you want to think about an experience that like public speaking, what do you typically notice when you have to, I don't get nervous about these anymore, but maybe because it was going to be six hours to fill, I'd be like, I, right now I did that. You know, you can't see me, but I'm like, my body kind of clenched in a little bit. My gut kind of clenched. That's not happening in my head. That's happening in my body. Mm. So imagine being five or 10 or 15 or 40, and you have an experience that you don't have resources or we'll call them, uh, yeah, we'll call them resources to deal with, or there's no compassionate witness to like that stomach clench. Like, oh yeah, I got to see you're like clenching what's going on. And now you can look at that with somebody else. When you're doing this, but it's constant and it's chronic or it's even bigger than that. And you're forced to face, live, you're supposed to survive it anyway. And then everyone gets noticed or validated or never goes away, that feeling. You're going to kind of stack up a lot of like uncomfortable experiences that start to kind of all meld and merge together over time. Before you know it, you've got a lot of stuff in there that feels like a threat but you can't name anymore. 
And that's why so many people say so many times, like, oh, I feel so big inside. I feel so gross. I even say feel fat. And we know fat is energy-rich substance or an adjective. It's not an internal really sensation or emotion. But because of our cultural, like, you know, prejudices and bias, you know, we'll say fat equals Mm-hmm. All the stereotypes you want to put in your head right now, sad, unhealthy, all the predictive programming and all the mind control you've ever had, of what fat means and then what thin means. So we start to learn how to label instead of expressing, I feel sad, I feel scared, I feel too much, like I can't handle this. We say, oh, I feel fat. My body, that's why I'm so miserable. Hey friends, it's that time of year again. That's right, we're opening the doors to my virtual eating disorder recovery community, The Recovery Collective, on January 19th. Curious to know what it's like inside? Here's what some of our members have said. My favorite part about The Recovery Collective is that as of joining about a year ago, I finally realized how important it is to have a community in recovery. It was definitely a turning point for me to finally talk to someone who's understanding. The people in the Recovery Collective are some of the most lovely, supportive people I've ever met. If you're thinking about joining the Recovery Collective, I have two words to say to you. Do it. Literally just give it a chance. I think you will be surprised in the most wonderful way. Make the jump and join is honestly one of the best things I ever did and I've made some of my best friends from around the world. It's a safe place for me. I know I can say anything and never get judged for it and I feel that we all truly care about each other. Well, there you have it. Our members have spoken. And I might be a little biased, but I think our community is pretty great too. For more information, check out the link in the show notes and make sure you sign up for the waiting list so you can be the first to join our community in the new year. Especially because they totally ignored me. Oh, and then it makes me feel sad. Well, it's because of my body. Of course they ignored me. You start to make these overcoupling, these inferences that that's why every bad thing happens or why every good thing happens. You get that's the black and white part of this too. Oh, I lost weight and people are really nice to me. And, you know, and that may be the reason some people are nice to you. That really sucks. So I'm sure we've got big emotions about that too in our body container. But also you lost weight. The first time people say you're so great. And the second time it's like, you know what? That's why we're left with this. If we don't unpack a bigger sense of self and value and worth in ourselves, we're always going to be in kind of tossed around the waves by this. But so the body is the container for sensations and emotions for the most part. I mean, you can have mental anxiety for sure. But for the most part, I don't feel the shame in my head. But I do feel it in my eyes. I feel it in my heart. Sometimes I feel it in my whole core, my whole body even. Or if I'm mad, I don't feel it in my head. I feel it in my jaw, or my shoulders, or my fists, or maybe my gut too. But our bodies hold these sensations. Because our nervous system is always neurocepting or sensing what's around us, outside of us, and inside of us. Mm. And then we also have our lived experiences, our stories, our memories, you know, that also come flooding in when we feel uncomfortable or, you know, or for stressed or overwhelmed. So our bodies contain a lot of stuff. And just like me, I bet a lot of you listening, probably you probably love your ABCs 
and how to clean your room. And maybe, maybe if we're lucky, how to bake a, bake a really good pie or something and actually eat it. But I bet most of us didn't learn how to like, you know, when you're sad, it's okay to say you're sad and provide some comfort for that. Like a way to blanket or just a hug or spend some time with that. Most of it, at least I was told like, we'll be sad, but that's kind of too long. Mm. You're giving it too long. Mm. Or you're mad. Well, I'll give you something to be mad about. Or only one person like a family can be mad. So we have these experiences of, is it safe? Or is it welcome to have these? If it's not, and you don't have the skills of that, even the neurobiology, like feel what you're feeling, express it, do something with it that doesn't cause you or others harm. And then it's gone and we ride the waves. If you don't have that neurobiology in you, you're not going to know what to do. So we develop these strategies. Mm. Well, I feel fat. So I'll go to a diet, of course, right? That just must be the only problem. Wow. And or, or weigh ourselves or binge or purge or take pills or do a surgery or to dissociate, to fill the space or to like push it down or whatever we do. Whatever we've learned that gave us a relief. But relief isn't the same thing as safety or peace. Mm. Wow. Everything you just said was explained so beautifully. You just explained a pretty complex topic in a very beautiful way, like very easy to follow. So I appreciate that. There's so much there. And it's clear that if you don't have those tools to kind of feel your feelings, take care of yourself, you're just taking on that stress in your body. It sounds like it's a layering of holding in all of that. That's right. That's right. And then it explodes, you know? So if you are so afraid and you can't tolerate anymore, that's where you see people become either workaholics or the, a flight or flight response from like a, a threat response system labeling would be flight is like, I'm really scared and I'm out of here. So we'll run like literally compulsive exercise. And then, you know, you're a compulsive exerciser. The amount doesn't really matter. It's more about the compulsivity to it. And you feel terrible if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like when I say terrible, I just mean afraid or guilty or shame. You know, you've got an exercise issue, right? And that's a flight response or even counting calories. Obsessive so compulsive tendencies, those are flight responses. Fight would be the way in which you feed yourself. Is it, you know, it would be like I'm tearing and gripping and shoving it down mm-hmm. back into the body container, right? So I don't know how to express anger without hurting myself or others. Or there's not even any room for me to have it. Some people can't, it's so shoved down. I said this to a therapist one time, like, I know I'm angry, but I mentally know that that's a situation a person would be angry in, but I can't feel it. That's how shoved down it could get. Like, you know, it's there, but you don't have access to the sensations because it never was allowed, right? Yeah, so it takes time. I'm going to get to the same part of this, why all this is involved in a second. But we can check out. We can be in freeze on dissociative where it's like you lose track of your day and you're like, oh, oh. The only way you get a sense that like you you have a need is because you have a splitting headache because you haven't eaten or drank water in like hours and hours. Well past when your body was probably giving you signals. The more checked out of yourself you are or locked back in the back of yourself you are, you're like, oh. And then you eat something, you're like, oh. One, you're more present. And you're like, oh. Yeah, I, I lost track of the last four hours or seven hours of my day. There's a function to that. You had to have been so fight or flight does it work, or it's not safe to use those, or I don't know what else to do that you just check out. And fond is like people pleasing. So it's like, what who do you need me to be? Or are you to be okay so I can be okay, basically. 
And that comes out of course and trying to be in a relationship with people and lose weight to please them, for example, or to only eat a certain way around certain people or yeah, just all those things. And those are like shutdown responses. So those are things we will do if we don't have capacity. And from a food perspective, one of the gifts of intuitive eating or even just like mechanical eating, just learning to eat every three to four hours, eat a variety of foods, you know, fill your plate, eat it, rinse and repeat, is it does teach you some interceptive awareness that you can name. Like, I know I'm feeling these sensations because I just ate X, Y, Z. And then I can check again in an hour or two and recognize, oh, I'm less full, but that makes sense because my body's digesting some of that. And I'm having signals and sensations of that. And that's what's so awesome about going back full circle to the recovery process that you have something tangible because all this other stuff can get like, it needs a lot of handholding and unfolding, you know, to get unpack it. But food is something, wow, I can do that. I can commit to like, eating something within a couple hours of getting up and getting and having an experience that I can name that I did that. Nobody else did that to me. Mm-hmm. I know what that was. And that makes sense. And the more times you have a felt sense of like something makes sense, it feels a little safer. And then you can like look at your feedback over the next couple hours. Like, oh, huh. Okay. Like it makes sense. I feel how I feel because I only eat enough food to last two hours. So I'm hungry again. That makes sense. It starts to break the programming of diet culture that like, if you're hungry, there's something wrong with you. And you can look back like, why am I hungry in two hours? Oh, I had a banana and like two cheese So that's not a lot of food. For diet culture, that should be plain to get you by. But in reality land, that's only enough fuel to last you a couple hours, mm. for example. Mm. So that's something that feels you can build some truth around. You can build some safety around. And then over time, that's how you can rebuild your relationship with food. Especially if you do it with other people and you get some feedback and like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, what was that like? And the emotional labeling can happen at the same time. So here are your hunger fullness signals. And this is also what anxiety feels like in your gut. And that's different than hunger. This is what anger feels like in your chest or sadness feels like in your chest. Well, we know that's not hunger. Yeah, and then we all do that, right? It's like, no, your hunger is going to be in your stomach. That's lower than your sternum or right there. But it's not the same yeah. thing as in your throat or right here. And how many times we've heard Meg say, oh, I didn't feel hungry. Well, where did you not feel the hunger? Well, I didn't feel like I didn't swallow anything. You'll get a story like of all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but what about your stomach? Oh, I don't know. But I know that I couldn't swallow Okay, well, what was in your throat? Because that's not your stomach. So what was happening? And mm-hmm. trying to uncouple all that. Wow. I get this sense that everybody's wires are just constantly crisscrossed. Awesome. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's what trauma does. Trauma and attachment ruptures do that. Because you mm-hmm. don't know how to trust yourself anymore. Wow. So when you say attachment rupture, what's an example of... Well, you know, it feels natural, right? For your caregiver to like, you fall down and like, hey, are you okay? I'm here for you. That feels natural like in our systems because we feel like, uh, like I'm hurt, but I'm okay. Versus mm-hmm. you get hurt and nobody notices. So the message is what? All kinds of messages you could, your brain will, so our brains are meaning making organs. So we'll make meaning of that. Oh, well, my teacher was standing right there, but I fell over and I'm, bleeding at my knee and nobody said anything. 
So message could be what? The pain doesn't matter or must not be important. This bleeding profusely down my leg must not be that important. Uh, you know, you learn how to adapt, basically. Mm-hmm. And so once things get more intense, you take on that same strategy. For what about, an example. What about attachments where like parents are mean or shaming or like unkind? Like if you do trip and they kind of blame you for it. Yeah, everything's your fault. So you, mm-hmm. everything you do is wrong. That the message is everything you do is wrong. Everything's your fault. And so you're going to be hyper vigilant about never making mistakes. And then you're going to develop perfectionism. Really mm-hmm. And then you're going to try to get your food perfect because that's something tangible. And you can like diffuse some of that body container stuff onto. Mm-hmm. And this is why people blame their bodies for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a job. You know, I, I feel really bad too. Also because I gained weight. Mm-hmm. Everything's mm-hmm. about that. Like we push it out because this is painful inside. To have all that dysregulation and you don't you can't fix it because you don't know how to attune to it. You don't have a compassionate witness. You don't know how to take care of yourself because those needs weren't met. Uh, but it also makes you think that care is a threat as well. That's why so many people, I think, delay, 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 delay getting help. It's because here's us caregiver coming to people and really care. But if you're used to care coming with criticism or care coming with nitpicking or care coming with shaming, why would you want to do that? Why would you go to a dietitian? Dietitians put you on diets. They suck. They're just glorified, you know, diet culture. <laughs> you probably feel that way if you've had, you know, food is nourishment and who gives you nourishment, supposed nurturing others, your caregivers, your parents, your teachers, your early people, 0-25, your early people, your early environment form how we do a relationship. And how we're going to do in relationship with food because food is also nurturance and care. So it gets all scrambled up. So mm. if, oh you've my ever, God. if you're listening to this and you've ever like tried to get care from somebody that fell flat or it wasn't a right match or whatever, you know, it's almost like, oh man, your stuff got reinforced. So I would just encourage you to recognize that like some of us kind of get it. You know, part of our mission here is to provide people with a safe, good experience of care in a very partnership kind of experience of care, not just like a performative one. You don't need to be anybody for us to like, or be a certain way for us to see what you're going through. So why do you think people blame their bodies first? Like, why is that the easy scapegoat? You know, it's, I can like look in the mirror and see my body, but I can't look inside unless I'm really feel safe with feeling how I feel and know what that is. And then what is that? What just happened? Mm -hmm. So a really quick example is that somebody is going about their day and they eat their breakfast and they're feeling pretty good with it. It's the breakfast they had yesterday and they had a fine day. And then today they eat the same breakfast, get in the car and feel like they're six feet wider all of a sudden. When people come to me like that, like, oh, Tracy, like I had it, but I felt so guilty and I felt so fat all morning. I was okay. So what happened before the bagel? What was going on? When you woke up, what was the first thing you were thinking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. I know I had the meeting with my boss. And I know I have to like do set a boundary because they're giving me more work because I know the past. Like I'm overworked and they expect that for me now. And I have to undo that. I'm really scared. Mm. But yeah. if you've got a pattern of every time you feel scared, 
you go on a diet because you don't know how to belong. It's easier. I'm going to fawn and get lots of compliments. And then I only have to deal with this boundary thing. Because it's scary and I don't know how. So the same person could eat the same breakfast two days in a row. And then the second day have this like totally different lived experience around it because something else, some other experience or feeling or memory, song in the radio, reminded them of something else in the past that felt like too much. And instead of saying, oh, I'm feeling really overwhelmed and I need to talk out how I'm going to do this boundary setting thing, they say, I feel fat. And you feel that and you're convinced of it. And that's how dysmorphia works. Like you're just convinced you gained five pounds. And then that's when you go away yourself. You're like, oh, I didn't. Or what was feeling so much inside? Because it ain't your food and ain't your body. What happened? That's, that's exactly how it works. Yeah. We're yeah. so used to like diffusing all of our uncomfortable feelings onto our body because that's sometimes all we have. Again, you go back. If there's nothing for you to hold on to, there's no compassionate witness. You learn to see emotions as a threat. Emotions that are in your body. You feel in your body. But it's yeah. easy to get that all mixed up and say, well, it's my body that's making me feel bad. I didn't do anything. The emotions inside feel pretty uncomfortable. Wow. Can we separate ourselves mentally and look at that? Like your body is just your body doing its autonomic things. Mm. And of course, changing over seasons your life. That's going to happen. And of course, your body can lose weight or gain weight depending on what you're doing and how your behavior is with your food, of course. But in general, like your body's still a container of how you're feeling. And if you don't have any relationship with how you're feeling, your emotions, your thoughts, how you make meaning of things, then it's just easier to live this kind of autopilot life where like you live and die based on like how big or small you think you are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, when you say it that way, I just have so much compassion for the people who are given no tools to connect with their emotions growing up or given the messages that they needed to disconnect from their emotions or uh, that they're... Let's talk about that. Super important because it's not just like, okay, my parents screwed up. This is not our family bashing situation. We all have people that we're from that probably did the best they could. There's probably not too many people. We could listen to our family trees. They were all, all out like just evil. Most people have been through some really bad adversities that they survived and they don't have any other tools. Then they just pass on those survival tools. There's no thriving tools happening. So I think that's just as part of the human experience, to be honest. And some of us just more fortunate, get help earlier than others. And, you know, it's part of mystery, right? But I would say there's that part of it, which primes people for, and this is the evil stuff around diet culture is that diet culture understands the dynamics that people mm. want to belong. That whole industry is based on like emotional stuff, confident, air quotes, confidence. And belonging is gained, is earned to a smaller body. Because all you got to do is look at the imagery. You could be no words on a ad. And I know what they're trying to say. Oh, you're a better version. You're happier. You get all this cool stuff in life. People think you're awesome. Who doesn't want that stuff? People want love, security, to feel like they're worth something and to feel like they kind of have a purpose or something. Mm. Value. And if you can make that through the imagery without even the words, let alone the actual talking commercials and print and all that, if they've got deficits in those areas, you're going to trigger them to buy your stuff. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Yeah. And so you've got that. You've got your early 
overlay of like, how resilient are we? How much capacity? How much support do we have to face the challenges of life? To face these things that come against us that aren't really for us, to be honest. Systems that aren't really fully for us. And then you hit body changes and individuation that comes with like junior high, high school, early adulthood. And you're already kind of dysregulated in general because of those body changes. And then here comes diet culture through teen magazines and through social media telling me like, yeah, you just, for me, it was like, yeah, just don't eat puberty cups. But if you eat gummy bears, you're healthy. Those, <laughs> you know, all the silly little like messaging that just gets more intense as you're older and they give you more intense messaging as you get older. But that's programming right there. That starts very young. Yeah, yeah. Programming through even like the food guide pyramid. There's a level of that. There's feedback through that gets in really early with the littles, you know? And there's just a lot of stuff that you're going to get it a couple layers as we develop in our life, you know? And we just got to like understand how all that works so that you're not so vulnerable to it. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, You know, it's so funny because with life experience comes perspective. And when we're the most... (laughs) <laughs> and when we're the most vulnerable is when we don't have the perspective we need. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that goes you know, back to the relational piece. You know, if we can just hear this message today and recognize that the last thing you're going to want to do sometimes is try to like maybe be in relationship with this stuff. Because our brains will tell us like, well, you don't, it's not really that bad. You're not sick enough. You're not thin enough. People don't understand. Those are strategies to not get hurt again. Totally get that. But if we could see that, like, we got here in this mess because of misattuned relationships and even attack on healthy relationship, the only way we're probably going to get this healed is through safe relationship mm-hmm. with something, mm-hmm. you know, something, some people, even one person that's like, I don't need you to be anything. I just want you to have lunch with me and enjoy the time. Wow. I don't need you to perform with your salad there. I, I, it's not interesting to me <laughs> how thin you get or how good you think you're being. That's just on my value system. If you can find people like that. Mm, I'm thinking back. Or not. Yeah. yeah, so many clients I have who like they feel like they're stuck in their disorder when they're around unsafe people and unsafe connections and then around their closest friends or their people they trust on their team they have that ability to like challenge the disorder in a like safer way or in a way where their body doesn't freeze up or their body doesn't tense up or the emotion. Um, Yeah. You know, it's pretty interesting. I know we're like coming up on time here. So I really want to make sure that I ask you this question, which is how do we start to uncouple this like miswiring, right? So this feeling like negative feelings and blaming it on our bodies. How do we start to uncouple that? Well, number one, know that you do that. <laughs> oh, I'm doing nothing right now. That like, I blame me. Um, I'm t- so my, my head is saying, you had a miserable day because you ate too much of lunch. Mm. Oh, I'm doing that thing. Oh, I'm doing that thing. That's that like inside. Well, it makes me anxious. Okay, we'll put the anxious over here. Do we want to do any more with that? Can we just keep it separate? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to go further? So, right, it's consent and choice, but even with themselves, like one session with me or you or whatever, but it's like, yeah, okay. So, because how full did you get? Well, full, but I wasn't stuck. I'm like, well, that's normal fullness. Diet fullness says eat less. Just stop when you're not hungry. So, we're, you're not a diet anymore. What's going on? 
Or let's say that you're somebody who struggles with not knowing your edges. Let's just do that example. I don't know my edge and I ate past fullness. Okay, well, that that has a function, that has a strategy, that there's something there. And where did you notice the edge was? Where Could you tell where you were starting to feel like enough is enough and that got scary? Start to notice that in yourselves. Mm-hmm. We'll use both sides of the coin here, you know? And just like, oh, I'm doing that thing where I can feel the end of the meal coming and I'm starting to get mad or I'm wanting to check out or I'm getting really wrapped up. Can you notice those things? And you can stop right there and then keep eating or not. Either way, these are all experiments. And then you can go, sometimes the fear of the meal ending and wanting to keep going, sometimes it's about fear that normal eating means I'm on a diet or sometimes it's it could be just that. Sometimes it's like, it feels like I used to feel when I was restricted by my grandma and I never could get my needs met. Is that happening right now? So there's lots of directions we can go with that. Same thing with like, oh, I ate too much and you really didn't. So what is it if, let's do a hypothetical. If it's not that you actually eat too much, nothing bad's going to happen to you because you eat any too much. What might you be afraid of right now? Look big picture in your life. Yeah. So being it's a bigger thing than just that feeling of fullness in that moment. Yeah. Well, the fullness means something. So we want to unpack what is the meaning of the fullness on both sides. It always has a story. And that story never got heard five minutes ago or 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. What if you can't see the story? Like, what if you're someone who has a lot of trauma and they get to a session with you and you're like, okay, so you're feeling full. Let's acknowledge that. And also look at like, without the fullness, what were what you afraid of? Right. Well, and then- you know, sometimes, yeah, we don't want to get into the store because just being in relationship with me and talking about their food is all we can do without a dissociative thing happening. Right. We don't want that. So it's like, I want you to stay here in the present with me. And can you be here with me as you hold on to your dog and just be here with me? We don't need to look for a story. We don't even have to know. It doesn't matter right now. It's like, can you feel that fullness and notice I'm here with you right here? And I mean, no harm. Mm. And nothing bad's happening. You're in your space. I'm in my space. And so I do a lot of orientation with people. Let's have a new experience of like fullness and people don't go together as a threat or for hunger and people being around them go there as a threat or whatever it is feeling like the threat. But again, if you do have trauma, your body doesn't feel like a threat. Your food does feel like a threat because it's making you aware of all the too much. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to get out of here. So I want to starve. I want to stuff. I want to get out of here because this was so bad. And it's like, can you see that like, it's not all so bad right now? It doesn't feel great. Uncomfortable is different than a threat. And you're mm-hmm. not physically or emotionally, mentally being harmed right now. Can you notice that right now? Wow. I love that. It's what you were kind of talking about in the beginning, which is finding that new experience of safety, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that evidence that that oh. can exist. And so- Yeah, that's all. That's all, Meg. It's just, can something new be happening? Because that creates new wiring, right? Mm-hmm. And if we can water that new wiring- the old stuff will eventually just kind of atrophy because it's like, well, this is better than that. So let's do this more because this yeah. is going to hurt me. And sometimes this actually feels kind of good if I dare to admit it. Mm-hmm. I might be used to this and I feel like, oh, when I go back to there, you know, when I'm extra stressed, but it's like, but I also have this now. But now that gets you into a place of some choice. Mm-hmm. You're not so blended anymore. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that is like required in recovery, I feel like is 
trying something new and observing the difference, right? And like sitting with whatever that difference is, it might feel uncomfortable, but recognizing you survived it. The threat wasn't really there. It might feel scary, but the more you overcome those feelings and feel feel those feelings without reacting or using a behavior, the more evidence you have that you can heal in that in a different way, right? Or get better, so scientifically, so. that's building a new neural pathway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wow. there's science behind all this madness that we do that, you know, <laughs> so. Oh, man. Wow. Well, Tracy, this has been so eye-opening. I think it was good for us. We needed another deep dive on this podcast. I think it was really helpful to think about trauma and how that can connect with food and how our you know, attachments early on and how that connects with food and body. So I truly appreciate everything you shared with us today. And I was just wondering if there's anything coming up for you you'd like to share with the listeners or just promote because you're here. And I want to make sure everyone who connected with what you said today can reach you. Okay. Well, I keep it pretty simple. I'm pretty active on Facebook. So Tracy Brown RD. And I've been doing usually two-week teaching, encouraging videos, I don't know, for, I don't know, six, eight years. I don't remember. I'm losing track. I just do them because I enjoy it. So there's that. And then, of course, my blog, Tracy Brown RD, goes deeper into some of those videos and share, you know, there's lots of free resources there too on the stuff we talked about. So if you need some like sensory tools, there's that for you. Find me there. If you're a professional and you want to learn how to do more of this kind of work, I have a website called Embodied Dietitian. Same thing. You can get some free resources there. I regularly do supervision and then we have our trauma course in January, kind of open it up again. So again, if you want to deep dive and take what we did today and spread it out over like about six months, that's what we do. So they've really learned some skill set to help people as well. So hopefully some resources for everybody. Amazing. And I did want to ask you just to wrap it up, any final words of wisdom for the listeners out there related to kind of what we talked about today? Oh my goodness. Well, we are wired for connection. So I want to encourage people that as much as maybe we've been hurt by people in diet culture, promoting diet culture, trying to help us, but it actually made it worse, is like, no matter, even if we don't want to connect, we're wired to have it. So the goal really here is just think we're wired for growth. Mm. And the only thing that's really kind of keeping us back is our fear of getting hurt. Mm. And if we can find some relatives safe enough resources, relationships, whatever. It, it's like, it's going to be like a refreshing drink for a, a thirsty cells. You know, even if you don't want, you're scared to be in a relationship and whatever. It's like, I've tried that. I've done that. It's like, well, we're understanding more and more and more how to actually help people from a deeper level. So I just wouldn't want people to give up because they've already tried some stuff. So there's more out there for you. Beautiful. All right, Tracy. Well, I'll let you go. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thanks, Megan, for having me. Thank you for being here. 